Hey there. Thank you for listening to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. This is Clark Chilton, Associate Pastor of Contemporary Worship and Evangelism. For the month of September, we're going to be looking at what the Bible says about family. And the sermon series we're doing is called Family Life. We're going to look at some of the practical things the Bible has to say about marriage, singleness, parenting, and more. So dig in with us. We hope this series is a blessing to you. And thanks again for listening. We're continuing in our series on relationships and family. Our text for today is found in Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul brings to us an extended discussion of marriage. But in the midst of this extended discussion of marriage, he says this at chapter 7, beginning at verse 6. This I say by way of concession, not of command. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has a particular gift from God, one having one kind and another a different kind. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is well for them to remain unmarried as I am. But if they are not practicing self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to be aflame with passion. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. The Apostle Paul was single, unmarried, when he was traveling about the ancient Mediterranean world proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unlike Peter, who took his wife with him on his travels, Paul did not have a wife to take with him on his travels, so he was single as he traveled. He was single when he wrote what we call 1 Corinthians. And that is why when he says, I wish that all were as I myself am, he's referring to his singleness. We've often wondered whether or not the Apostle Paul had ever been married. Uh, Most of us think that he probably was at one point because he was an esteemed teacher among the Jews in his day. He was a Pharisee. We learned that from the book of Acts. He also was a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council among the Jews there in Jerusalem. And for Paul to be and to do all of those things, he pretty much had to be married in that age. You see, Judaism, particularly at that point, took very, very seriously the first commandment that occurs in the book of Genesis, which is to be fruitful and multiply. So it would have been very odd for someone like the Apostle Paul, doing what the Apostle Paul was doing before his conversion to Christ, to have been single. But we know that he was single at the point when he was traveling and when he was writing. So we wonder if he had been married, what possibly happened to his wife? Well, obviously his wife could have died. You notice throughout Paul's letters, even here in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, he seems to have a special place in his heart for widows and widowers. Also, several of us have wondered if perhaps the Apostle Paul's wife left him when he embraced this new way of being Jewish, this new good news of Jesus Christ, the Jewish 
Messiah. And he set forth proclaiming this Jesus to all the Mediterranean world. That may be why later in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul actually says that if an unbelieving spouse leaves a believing spouse just to let that unbelieving spouse go. But it's clear here that the single, unmarried, celibate Paul is esteeming the gift of singleness. As a matter of fact, here in this text, he calls singleness a gift. The Greek word he uses is charisma, the Greek word for gift. He calls it a gift, and this would have really been a rather revolutionary teaching in early Christianity because the Jewish world of that day was very much into marrying and procreating. But here was someone who was blessing the body of Christ in his state of celibacy or singleness, and he refers to it as a gift. We, we do have some great teachers in the biblical literature that were celibate, single. Of course, there was Jeremiah. There was John the Baptist, obviously Jesus of Nazareth. Here's Paul. And for those of you that know about the Dead Sea Scrolls, that Jewish community at Qumran that produced the Dead Sea Scrolls were, were a community of celibate men. But definitely in Paul's day, it would have been considered odd to have been single. And here is Paul considering it not odd, but a special gift, charisma from God. Marriage, marriage is certainly a gift. We all know that. But so is singleness in the New Testament. It hasn't been widely recognized in the Christian community that, that singleness is a special charisma, gift from God to the church. It seems to be, and at times it still seems to be this way, that the assumption is that everyone should marry. I remember when I was a young seminarian many years ago, it seemed like every church to which I was sent was filled with people who wanted to get me married off. And I was only in my early 20s, but even though I was in my early 20s, I went and visited with one of our bishops, in the United Methodist Church, he shall remain nameless, but some of you that know me and my age, you can do the math and probably figure this out. But this particular bishop looked at me and said, if you'll get married before I leave the Episcopal office, I'll officiate the service for free. He really thought all clergy should be married. Seems like all churches think that all clergy should be married. But then there's Paul. There's Jesus, there's John the Baptist, there's Jeremiah. I want to speak directly to the single people listening today. That is rather easy to do in this culture because there are so many single adults in the United States today. Back in 2012, a book was written that really captured the attention of many people. The title of the book was Going Solo, The Extraordinary Rise and Surprising Appeal 
of Living Alone. It was written by Eric Kleinenberg, who is a professor of sociology at New York University. And in that book, he quoted a statistic from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics that said that 50.2% of all American adults are single. Over 50% of all American adults are singer, single. In 1950, that number was only 22%. There's been a drastic change. There are more single adults living today per capita in the United States than at any point in our history. And it appears, according to this book by Kleinenberg, that many of them, many of them are living well and living fulfilled lives. So I want to speak directly to the singles this morning, but the rest of you can listen in. I want to say four things to the singles who are listening today. Number one, singleness is a gift that is very important to the body of Christ. There was Jeremiah, John the Baptist, Jesus, Paul. There have been a multitude of priests and monks and nuns throughout the history of the Christian movement that have been a tremendous blessing to the body of Christ. Later in this same chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul says that one of the reasons that it might be good to exercise the gift of singleness is perhaps in that state a person can live more more focused on Jesus Christ with less distractions. So I want you to understand that singleness is a gift. It's a gift that's given from God to people. It's not a gift that's given to everyone, just like marriage is not a gift that's given to everyone. But you need to understand that in order to see singleness as a gift, we've got to stop seeing singleness as just a stage in our life a stage before marriage or a stage after marriage. Singleness in and of itself can be a calling. The second thing I want to say to single people is this. You don't need to be married to live a fulfilled, completely human life or to live as a Christian. Your dignity, our dignity, any of our dignities does not come from being married. Don't let any society or any culture or anyone else tell you who you are or what you to do except God. Our identity, our personhood is in God and who God has gifted us to be. So you don't need to find another human being in order to be complete. You are complete in Christ just as you are right now. Number three, to those of you that are single, I wish for you great contentment. I wish that you would see your singleness not as a mistake or an aberration, but as a gift from God. And I wish for you contentment, and I want you to understand that contentment, like love, is not so much an emotion, it is, it is a decision, an act of the will. It's something that we embrace. 
Contentment is just the decision to be satisfied with what God has given us. God has promised marriage to no one. If you've been called to marriage and received the gift of marriage, that's a great thing. But if you've been called to singleness and you're living fully and completely in that gift, that also is a great thing. So I wish for you contentment. As I've heard Bishop Paul Leland say many times, be at peace. And I wish that for you. Number four, and lastly, I want to say this to the single people that are listening. I'm sorry for the way that the church, the people of Jesus, the body of Christ, has often treated you and made you to feel awkward. That is really amazing when we think about all the marvelous people throughout our history who were able to bless us the way they blessed us because they had that gift of singleness. Being married brings with it certain struggles. Being single brings with it certain struggles. But I'm afraid that sometimes in the life of the Christian church, we have made those struggles worse for people who are single. I remember hearing, I don't hear it as much now as I used to, but I remember hearing in many of our churches there were Sunday school classes called pairs and spares. I don't know about you, but I really would not like being referred to as a spare. But sometimes in the body of Christ, that's been our nature. It has been almost an assumption that the world, in particular the world of the church, was for uh, husband, wife, mother, father, children. But we need to understand that the word family can be defined in many different ways. So I'm sorry for the, the ways that the church has made you feel awkward or out of place if you're one of those who have received the gift of singleness. Let me conclude by saying this. One day, one day, we will all be married in the most profound sense of that word. There will come a time in history when we will hear the trumpet and the voice of God saying to us, let us rejoice for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Throughout the scriptures we see that, that Jesus really redefined family in the Gospels making sure that we understood our Christian family is now the preeminent family to us. And also in the scriptures we see that there will come a time when Jesus Christ finishes his work here in this creation and the kingdom will come completely. And one of the ways we picture that kingdom in places like the book of Revelation is it begins as the marriage supper of the Lamb. The lamb, the bridegroom, Jesus, is married to his people, to his church, to his bride. So one day we all will be married in the most profound sense of that word.
Today we live out of the gifts that God has given us for our journey in this world, whether it's the gift of married life or the gift of single life. But there's coming a time when we will dwell in the land of Beulah. Don't hear that much anymore. But the land of Beulah or Beulah land comes from a passage in the book of Isaiah. And Beulah was a Hebrew word that meant, if you translate it into English, married. So Beulah land is that land where we will be married in a tremendous way, in a deep, profound sense, to Jesus Christ. Jesus, the lamb, the bridegroom, will have that marriage supper with his bride, the church, the body of Christ, the people of Jesus in the world. That's how we will wrap up history. When we get to that point where there'll be no more suffering or sorrow or pain, all sin and sickness will be done away with. We'll be in the land of Beulah. We will be in a perfect intimacy with our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. So the supper of the Lamb will come, and Jesus and his bride, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, will be wed for eternity. Would you join me as, as I pray for the single people in our midst? God, I pray for those people who have received the gift of singleness, and I pray that you'll grant them the gift of contentment until perhaps that station in life changes according to your will. I thank you for all the people who bless us, who are living with that gift of singleness. I thank you for the ways that you make each one of us so different. You gift us in different ways, but that your Holy Spirit uses all of our gifts for the good of the body, the good of your church, your people here in this world. We pray, God, that you will keep each one of us faithful to fulfilling our calling in life. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.